What's up, everybody? Hope that you had a great Memorial Day weekend. Uh, it's a beautiful three-day weekend, but it is just more than a three-day weekend, right? It's a time that we're supposed to reflect with family and friends about the sacrifices that many, many brave men have made so that we can enjoy uh, the, the wonderful freedoms and the wonderful country that we have here in the United States of America. Uh, if you think about it, um, America is not a perfect place. We've made plenty of mistakes. There's still plenty of things we can improve on and do much better with. But overall, in what, two and a half centuries, what, what this country has accomplished is pretty damn astounding. And a big part of that is due to the sacrifices of millions, millions of brave men and women. So uh, that is what Memorial Day is all about. Anyway, um, you guys know that I got out of town with my wife. We took a few days off and um, got your got answers to your questions right here, as promised. Some of you asked like 10 questions that I had to narrow it down. So I'm not going to get to every single one of them, but I will get to all of you right here. Um, but I was gonna, we were gonna do this while driving on the road, but man, the weather was so nice. It was like in the seventies out. It was really, really great weather. We took the top down on the Jeep, turned up the music a little bit and just let the wind flow. And it, we just enjoyed ourselves. So anyway, uh, back in Atlanta, back at home and I'm getting to your answers. So I'm just going to fly right through these and, uh, man, I don't know how many, there was probably over a hundred total. So like I said, I'm going to have to narrow it down. So bear with me. All right. Here we go. Uh, Gav Bridges asks, uh, cancel culture, Michael, your opinions. How much does it suck balls? Also asks, uh, how's the nursery coming along? Come on, guys. We need TNC Jr. All right, let's start with cancel culture. I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole. I could do an hour-long video on cancel culture. I have been a victim of cancel culture. And the sad thing is most of you watching this at some point in your lifetimes are will be victims of cancel culture. Many of you already have been. You maybe just don't even realize it yet, but it's something that is going to affect everybody. And that's my biggest issue with cancel culture. Regardless of what side of the political aisle you sit on or where you are on the political spectrum, you have to realize that the pendulum always swings. The thing with cancel culture is it's never satisfied. It's never happy. It's a virus. And what do viruses do? They mutate. They find a way to survive, right? They talk about COVID-19. There's already mutations of it coming. So a lot of you guys, you know, get vaxxed up and everything. But who's to say there's not a new mutation that comes and the vaccine doesn't even cover those in future years? Who the hell knows what's going to happen, right? That's what cancel culture is. So right now, you may think that you are on the quote-unquote right side of things where uh, you're one of the good guys on whatever issue. Take, take take your pick and you think, okay, I'm going to beat up somebody who's on the opposite side of this issue and I'm going to virtue signal publicly on social media and show everyone that I'm on the right side of this issue. This person's on the wrong side and I'm going to, what happens is people get tribal and they get, uh, they things fester online and people pound and gang up on others. What they don't realize is that one day that pendulum might swing and suddenly you may find yourself on the quote unquote wrong side of an issue. And sometimes these things are uh, a matter of opinion, a, a matter of worldview, but sometimes they're a matter uh, that you can't control. 
you, you don't get to choose the ethnicity you're born into or the, 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 the country you're born into, the gender you're born into, your sexual preference, these sorts of things. Um, they're, they're the religion or the culture that you're brought into as a young person. Those things are decided for you in a lot of ways. And um, so at some point, the pendulum might swing and cancel culture may come after you. And you may have uh, something in your past that comes back to haunt you. I find that a lot of the practitioners of the religion of cancel culture, and it is a secular religion, uh, the whole identity politics thing, it really is a replacement for religion for a lot of people. But a lot of the people that are the most vocal about that stuff really are covering up for real internal guilt that they have, um, whether it's something that, you know, that guilt has manifested from something that they did in their past, physically did, or um, some sort of mental or emotional issue. Um, There's something going on there that they're trying to compensate for, overcompensate for, and that's why they're so vicious and so loud publicly. Most people, bottom line is, Most people, regardless of where you're from or your background, man, most people get along. Most people like each other. Most people get along. We can have differences in opinion, worldview, whatever. But at the end of the day, we all kind of want the same things and we all kind of get along. But there's a small group of people that really, really want to tear down those that they disagree with. And the biggest issue, and then I'll move on to the next one. The biggest issue with this is most of the time, it's just people that are misunderstanding each other. You know, you may have a disagreement about take your pick of whatever political issue or life issue, social issue, whatever. But if you if you really took the time to speak to that person that you're disagreeing with, I think what you'd find is that ultimately you agree on way more than you disagree on. And a lot of your anger and everything and your judgment of that person is based on preconceived notions and your own biases that you're bringing into the situation. And you're you're, uh, thrusting upon that person that they really don't even have. And I say this because, again, I've been a victim of cancel culture. I get beat up a lot on Twitter by people that add their own context and subtext to my tweets they look at the packaging I come in and in, in, in my presentation, the way I present information, and then they look at a certain keyword or something that triggers them, and they do a math equation in their head and just make a bunch of judgments about me that are completely false. And there's nothing I can really do about it. I, I got what? What is uh, Twitter? 140 character limit or something? I can't remember. I, I know they increased it recently, but I can't have a conversation with a person over Twitter. And these people don't want to engage in real conversations in real life because they're incapable of it. They haven't been taught those skills. They've uh, they they live behind their computer desk. So that that's the those are the biggest issues with cancel culture, man. A lot of people right now that are having a good time with cancel culture on their social media accounts, they don't realize that at some point in life that pendulum is going to swing back at them, and they're going to be a victim, and they're going to see how it feels. So I I think people have really short memories when it comes to that kind of stuff. And they don't really step outside of their bubble to think about how what they're doing may feel when it comes back upon them. And cancel culture is a virus, and it goes in all directions. So as far as the nursery goes, look, man, me and Tiffany, my wife, we're talking about it. All right. Uh, There's some things we want to work on and accomplish and wrap up this year. My sister Jennifer is pregnant with her second child that's due very at the very end of this year. So this year is kind of 
for her, right? But maybe next year we'll discuss. Okay, that's all I'm going to say right now. Uh, let's see. Timo Nidas asks, uh, I heard someone say that Pac versus Spence is the best Southpaw versus Southpaw fight in boxing history in regards to two elite fighters competing. What are the three best Southpaw versus Southpaw fights in boxing history, in your opinion? You know what, dude? There's not a whole lot of them. Not a whole lot of them, but recent ones that come to mind, Nassim Hamed versus Kevin Kelly. Uh, some of you young guys might not remember that fight. I think it was from the 90s. I believe it might be early 2000s. No, I think 90s, uh, late 90s. Go back and find that one on YouTube. Great fight. Um, Irislandi Lara versus Paul Williams. That was two uh, high, high-level high lefties, highly skilled lefties. And then how about this? Vasily Lomachenko versus Gary Russell Jr. People forget that. That was two lefties. And, um, you know, two outstanding fighters. I think Gary Russell Jr. could still be the best featherweight in the world. And uh, Loma is, of course, a first ballot Hall of Famer. Last, Uchiha asked, if Manny beats Arrow, where does Manny rate all time? And do you think Bud versus Porter happens next? If Manny beats Arrow, look, obviously, we'll find out in a couple months, right? It's already June. Holy shit. These two are fighting in August. So we'll find out soon. It depends how he beats them and all those other things. But I think we're having a very different discussion about Manny Pacquiao's all-time rating. It's already pretty high. But if he beats Spence, It'll be a, an odd situation because even though Mayweather beat Manny, if Manny beats Spence at this age, I think his all-time great rating is going to be higher than Floyd's. Some already argue it is, but you can argue both ways. But if he beats Spence, I just think there's no denying it, that Pacquiao would rate higher all-time, pound for pound and all that stuff, than Floyd. And that would look really strange to some people. But when you just look at the resumes, dude, I mean, it'd be a big deal. As far as Bud versus Porter, I, I really don't know what the hell is going on with Terrence Crawford and his career. But I do think there's a good chance that could happen. It might have to go to pay-per-view to get Sean Porter the money that he would want to do it. I, I don't know. But I, I think it's possible. Eric Harmon asks, after Crawford seemingly turned down the Pac-Man fight and Porter, should we blame him for the lack of opposition or is part of the problem Bob Arum? So um, I don't know if Crawford specifically turned down the Pacquiao fight. I haven't heard anything about that, and I don't know if he turned down the Porter fight. I haven't heard anything about that. I think that um, those are very complex situations, and when you're dealing with the other side of the street, both of those guys are PBC guys. PBC has made it very clear they do not want to deal with Bob Arum and uh, Terrence Crawford right now. And they've made that clear for the last few years. So those are complex situations. But to some extent, yes, of course, I, I blame Terrence Crawford, especially with the way he's publicly talked about these things. He's just he seems too OK with it. If I were Terrence Crawford, I would be bitching and moaning nonstop. I'd be calling out Errol Spence. I'd be stalking him. I would be calling out every PBC welterweight. And I would be bitching and complaining about it on social media non-stop. He doesn't do that. He seems very complacent with it. And as far as Bob Arum goes, he hasn't had a good run as of late. Now, Top Rank's been in this business for a long time. I expect them to rebound from the recent, um, I guess, L's is the only way to put it, the recent losses they've taken, uh, the recent lumps they've taken. How about that? And I expect them to rebound and have a, a good stretch down the second half of this year. But um, Grandpa Bob has been around for a while. He'll be okay. But, yes, he is part of the problem here for sure. 
Also, Eric asked, uh, how would Josh Taylor do against the current 147 fighters, Spence, Porter, Thurman, Pacquiao, Crawford? And he also asked, will I be, will we be seeing more videos on politics? There is one video you made some time ago that was very insightful to me. Right now, Josh Taylor, um, I think at 147 is probably going to be even better because I think he'll have a little more legs. He won't struggle to make weight as much. I, I think he needs maybe a fight or so to acclimate himself. But, I mean, he beats Thurman right now. I think he'd have a very good chance of beating Porter, um, a very good chance of beating Pacquiao. Spence and Crawford might be a little too much for him right now. That remains to be seen, uh, particularly Crawford. As far as videos on, <clears throat> on politics, I have considered doing a political podcast, a political channel. I've thought about it because not just politics, but current events, social matters, things like that. I have a lot of opinions. I have a lot of unique experiences living in all the different places I've lived, being former military, uh, growing up in the working class and working my way into the middle class as an adult. Um, I have a lot of unique experiences. I'm a history buff. I've read a lot. I've studied a lot of statistics that uh, a lot of people ignore. So I think I have a lot of things that I could share that would be positive and and, and informative for people. However, if I do that, I would definitely want a co-host or maybe a panel, two or three co-hosts. I think that, especially in a podcast form, the best way to talk about heavy issues like politics, philosophy, life, relationships, you know, all that kind of stuff is to present it in long form discussion, sit down with a panel of people and really have a real discussion and really deep, uh, dig down deep and get to some hard stuff. I think too many, too many um, cable news shows and stuff, they go in these quick two minute blocks, right? It's just a two minute block where people yell at each other and then they move on to the next subject. You don't get any depth with that. So if I ever did a political podcast or something, I would want to be part of a team and talk to different people that have different viewpoints. That's how I think you you get to some growth in a discussion is you have different people uh, with different worldviews and experiences discussing a matter. My problem is I don't know who would be good to do that with. So this is where... I'll pose a question to you guys. Is there a particular person or a handful of people that you would be interested in seeing or hearing me discuss political topics with? If there are people out there, drop a name and maybe you can introduce us to each other and maybe we can get that going because it's something I have thought about. It's something a lot of people have told me that I should get into. Giuseppe LaRocca, um, Thank you so much, man. He, he says he's been uh, watching the show for a while, and uh, Giuseppe always leaves great comments, so I appreciate it, man. He uh, he asked, does your wife have a sister who's single? Uh, she does have a sister and a brother. A brother's single. Sister is married. Sorry. She, does, she has a younger sister that is married. And uh, he asked, will you be checking out Florida anytime soon? I was just down there, dude, um, and it was great to be down there and see that people there – are living their lives free. I think that the leadership in Florida has been crushing it. They've made some mistakes, of course, but um, they've also been a leader in a lot of ways on, on some of the recent issues our country has been facing. Uh, he also asked, there's always some fun Telemundo cards in Kissimmee and Tampa, and not to mention the Tiafimo 
uh, Lopez fight coming up in Miami in June. Yeah, and Floyd's fighting uh, uh, Logan Paul there too. Yeah, man, uh, Florida's been open for business, and there's a lot of people relocating there. And I definitely will, will be back soon because they're going to have more fight cards this year. I got some things I'm working on over the summer. I don't know how many fights I can get to outside of the Atlanta area over the summer. But come fall, winter, yes, I will be back down there, I promise. Insomniac Random asks, how come boxing doesn't emphasize knockdowns as a key stat? Pretty much wins, losses, and KOs. I think it would be cool to see uh, knockdowns in fighter stat lines. Baseball keeps adding new stats. Why not boxing? This is a great question, and this is a great comment, and I completely agree. I'm a stat guy. I'm one of the few boxing podcasts or channels that actually talks about stats with records and things like that. I've broken down. I remember I did a video on Vladimir Klitschko uh, when he retired a few years back. Go back and find it in my channel. But I really, really break down his career statistically. And some people didn't like the way Vlad fought. Um, they didn't like some of the losses and everything like that. But if you look at the statistics of his career, if you look at it basically the way a baseball historian would would look at a baseball player, Vlad's career breaks down very, very well in this modern era. Uh, he, he's he's It's similar to Pacquiao and the amount of fights he had and things like that. Now, of course, I'm not saying pound for pound he fought the kind of opponents Manny did, but heavyweights never will fight the level of opponents that, you know, featherweights, lightweights, welterweights are fighting. Never in the, in the history of boxing. So, um, but yeah, I agree with you. I, and, and by the way, knockouts on a fighter's record, it, it's very misleading because any sort of stoppage win is, is listed as a knockout. And there are some guys out there that are really knocking guys out, concussively knocking them out. And then there are other guys out there that are getting accumulation stoppages, right? And you look at their records, they both look like these killer punchers, when in reality, they're very different fighters. And some fighters develop this reputation as being these killers in the ring that just knock out power, and they're really not like that. Uh, Sergey Kovalev is one that comes to mind. They called him Crusher, and he had all these knockouts. But if you look, most of his knockouts were accumulation-type stoppages. He wasn't a one-hitter-quitter, as we say where there are punchers out there who really are like that. So I'd like to see knockouts broken down into legitimate knockouts, TKO knockouts, uh, corner stoppages, you know, ref stoppages, things like that. I really think boxing statistics could be uh, just broken down more and more detailed because we have the technology now. Uh, BoxRec has started doing that a little bit. I give BoxRec a lot of credit. You can go on there and really do some some research on fighters, on belts, and things like that. But I think we could take it much, much further. I'd love to see more boxing stats. Uh, uh, John Gary Navida asked a few questions, but uh, one – or no, I'm sorry, one, one question here. Will there be ever, Will there ever be a time – where an independent officiating judging body gets created, where referees and judges are required to attend seminars and get calibrated on how to officiate and score fights. Correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't the AIBA have a corrupted version of that in the amateurs? The scary thing is, John, Nevada State Athletic Commission does that now. Adelaide Bird, I don't know if she still is, but for a long time she was teaching seminars that NSAC held where other judges were coming in and uh, attending these seminars and learning things. 
and then going back and scoring fights. Adelaide Bird was one of the teachers, dude. So think about that. Um, I know that most commissions have um, annual seminars and things like that that people have to attend. And it's not just judges. It's all ring officials. I know that there's one coming up in the Southeast soon. I want to say maybe it's Florida that judges will be attending. And it's an annual thing, but it's kind of a joke. And people still go back to their jurisdiction and kind of score fights their own way. I'd love to see. I'm not a huge government bureaucracy guy. I think for the most part, government bureaucracies are bad. But I would like to see a federal boxing commission in the United States that's uh, completely federalized. So their mandates, all commissions have to follow them. And I think that there should be a a panel, a board of experts that that are at the top of that uh, commission that do seminars and things like that and mandate rules that everyone has to follow in the United States. I would like to see that. Will it ever happen? I don't think so. I I truly don't think so. There's a question here, and I'm sorry, I can't read this name. Um, I just, I I don't, the language it's in, I can't read. So, but um, he asked, how did your family and close friends manage during the pandemic health-wise and financially? Good question. Um, Well, as you know, my brother, well, some of you may not know, my brother Anthony died last year during the pandemic. It did not have anything specifically to do with COVID-19, but uh, he had been out of work for much of the year and um, depression and things like that were an issue. So um, I'm not going to say he was a victim of the pandemic, but it probably didn't help things. Uh, As far as family and everything, uh, fortunately, everybody kept their job. Um, Boxing Monthly Magazine, who I contributed to, unfortunately, they folded during the pandemic. So that hit me. My pay was cut. I uh, got cut. One quarter of my pay was cut. So we were surviving for a while on three quarters of my income. Plus I lost income uh, from boxing monthly when I contribute there. So it did affect me and my wife financially. Uh, But for the most part, I had a few family members get COVID and everything, but uh, everybody was fine. Um, the, the, The family members that did get COVID It passed in a day or two, and um, my family tends to have pretty good health, pretty good, I guess, good genetics in that department, and uh, anyone who had it pretty much said it was like a flu that that passed after a couple days, and the the biggest part of it really is the the fatigue, Um, but no major health issues or anything like that. Devin Cruz asks, if Pacquiao beats Spence, what would that be comparable to in a historical sense? You know, some people have said it would be like when um, Buster Douglas beat by Tyson. I don't think it'd be comparable to that because the odds are not going to be that wide. Um, I have to think about that one because I want to be very careful with my analogy because you can think about any time an old fighter beat a young fighter, but, um, you know, Spence is seen as many people say Spence is the best welterweight in the world. Some have him number two after um, Bud Crawford. But in terms of accomplishment, he's certainly the best welterweight in the world. I have him number one in terms of accomplishment. Now, head-to-head, I might pick Crawford to beat him. But in terms of accomplishment right now, he's number one. And for Pacquiao to beat him at this stage, I mean, I'd have to really think about that one, bro. Uh, And to be honest with you, I'm not trying to ignore your question, but I haven't given it much thought because the fight's two months away. We're going to be talking so much about it as we get closer to it. I'm going to have to really 
explore that and think about it some more so that I can speak about it in, a, in an honest way. Uh, but it would be pretty unprecedented in recent boxing history. And I really might have to go back to think about a time when we've seen something like that. Uh, but he's already, I mean, Pacquiao is already Henry Armstrong-esque in what he has done in his career. It's pretty remarkable. Twall1999 um, says, the ring has placed several guys too high uh, in the ratings, in my opinion. And the only possible reason is the eye test, I guess. Example, Estrada and Ioka should be above Spence based on resume and accomplishments. This also happens several times with prospects. Example, Haney has a high placement at lightweight for a while, despite having fought nobody with a pulse yet. Therefore, are there any plans to reevaluate placements of fighters who haven't been proven yet? So look, our ratings process isn't perfect. The problem with ratings, okay, is boxing is not like most sports in, in that you can make a clear set of rules and that's going to perfectly apply to every situation. It can't. Boxing has crazy stuff happen all the time that no computer algorithm can predict, that no set of rules can perfectly manage. There's always gray area, as I say. There's always nuance, my favorite word, that th there's a human factor when it comes to boxing ratings, and there always will be. You cannot computerize it. Impossible. There's too many intangibles in boxing. So because of the human factor, there are mistakes. There are um, times where maybe you get it wrong and you rate a guy a little bit too highly. Dillian White last year was our number two rated heavyweight. And some people liked that, some people didn't. At the time, you could argue that he had the second best resume in the division. I think, um, or maybe it wasn't last year. Maybe it was two years ago. Sorry. But it was, I think, after Joshua and Wilder had lost. It was kind of in this in-between. So maybe, I'm sorry, I think White was number three. Because if you include Fury as the champion, then AJ, we had White above Deontay Wilder, bottom line. That really triggered some people and pissed some people off. But at the time, White had fought and has fought a lot of top 10 heavyweights with mixed results. But for the most part, he's performed well in those fights and won most of them. And Wilder had just come off a really bad loss to Fury. And his best win is Luis Ortiz. And Luis Ortiz's best win is Bryant Jennings coming off a loss, right? So our viewpoint was, man, Dillian White, um, just has a better resume than Deontay Wilder. Well, you know, Dillian White didn't look spectacular in recent fights. Wilder still hasn't fought, but we've kind of flipped those guys in the ratings. We'll see how Wilder looks against Fury in their third fight. But there's an example of when human factor came in and we made a decision. Many people disagreed with it. And it really, really bothered some people. And they accused us of all sorts of insanity uh, that wasn't true. But that's human factor. And, and so with, with to go back to Errol Spence, there are a lot of people out there that feel Errol Spence is overrated and rated too highly pound for pound. A big part of Errol Spence's rating, is there some American bias there from the Americans in the panel? By the way, the panel, our ratings panel is international. Is there some bias? Maybe, okay? Uh, not with me. I try to keep it 100 and rate everybody equally across the board. And I get accused of whatever I do, I get accused of all sorts of bad stuff. But um, with Spence, I do think a big part of it is eye test. 
I think that, you know, I, I look at his career, he's only fought in one division, which is fine, but it's not as if he's been this absolutely dominant force. And it's not as if he's consistently been fighting killers. Um, there are other fighters in recent memory who have fought in one division and kind of cleaned it out, but were dominant in most of their performances. They had some close performances when they fought at the highest level and they were criticized for that. And a lot of people didn't like their pound for pound rating. We're kind of being consistent. And the way some other recent fighters were rated, that's the way Spence is being rated. Um, look, I think Spence, my personal opinion, he's a top 10 pound for pound fighter. Top five right now, I think that's a stretch. If he absolutely annihilates Manny Pacquiao, okay, maybe we'll revisit that discussion. But if he struggles, even if he beats Pacquiao, if it's close and competitive, I don't know, man. I just has Spence ever thoroughly dominated a top welterweight? I don't know, but I, I do think he's a top ten uh, fighter. As far as Devin Haney goes, look, he proved himself this weekend against Jorge Linares. He's a top ten lightweight now. Was he rated too too uh, highly, too fast? Yeah, and that's why I tweeted something this weekend that really triggered a lot of people. I'm probably going to do a short video explaining all that because some people really took it the wrong way. So that will come later this week on my channel. But I I do think a lot of Devin Heaney is the eye test, but he proved himself as a top 10 lightweight this weekend. All right. Chris Bergen asks, how did I rate David Hay at cruiserweight? Uh, His win against Macaronelli, I'm sorry, against Mormack. What was great. He came, he was down in that fight and came back and won it. That was a great fight. And that's where he, I think, became the WBC, WBA, and I think Ring Magazine champ, or maybe it was just the BCBA. But then he fought Enzo Mac, right? Enzo Macarinelli, and won the WBO. And that's when he became the, the unified. He had three of the titles. He was the ring champ. He was seen as the champion at the, in the division. However, Steve Cunningham had the IBF title. And around that time, um, Tomas Adamek fought Steve Cunningham, and he won the title. He won that IBF title. And for, hey, I understand why he did what he did when he went up to heavyweight. And he had some pretty good success at heavyweight. Made a ton of money. A ton of money. But I would have loved to have seen him stick around. Once he became champion, he just immediately left and went for the money. Again, I understand that. But it would have been great to see him stick around and fight Steve Cunningham. Fight Tomas Adamek. Because both, in my opinion, Cunningham and Adamek were better fighters than Mormack and Macarinelli. Um, especially, I think Adamek ended up becoming the legitimate champion too. And that would have been a great fight between Hay and Adamek. I think that would have been a hell of a fight, man. And we were kind of, and then Adamek ended up moving to heavyweight and we still never saw that fight. I, I just, I thought that would have been a good one. But um, he was the legitimate champion at Cruiserweight for a while. I was a little disappointed he moved up so soon, but. Is David Hay going to be a Hall of Fame or anything like that? No. He, he falls short of that distinction for me. But um, I, you have to put him in the top 10 all time at Cruiserweight. You have to. Absolutely have to. Chris also asks, I'm after some new recipes. What is your favorite Italian meal to cook? And what is the recipe? Well, I don't know if you saw. I did a video. Um, sorry, guys. I'm going to turn off my phone here because I keep getting buzzing in my ear. Uh, hang on one second. Let me turn off. Do not disturb. Here we go. Boom. There it is. Okay. Um, I cooked some, uh, some puttanesca sauce. That's my favorite thing to cook right now. I kind of go through phases where I'm cooking one thing a lot 
And I kind of go through another phase where I start cooking another thing a lot, another thing a lot. I did make some chicken parm uh, last week. That was pretty damn good, I got to say. And healthy. That's the thing I've been trying to do. When I make gravy or when I make sauce, um, I try to, Tiffany and I are trying to cook healthier. And we try to find different ingredients to use where it makes it just a little bit healthier for you. Because a lot of Italian food, a lot of pasta Man, there's a lot of carbs there. And it's just if you're trying to cut weight and train and stuff, it's not the best thing. I, I'm I'm craving pasta because I haven't been able to eat much of it lately. So I might have to make some puntanesca this weekend. But that's that's my favorite right now. Just a flavorful sauce, great aroma. I love the anchovies in it, it gives it some flavor. And you can add a lot of different stuff. I like putting some uh calamadas in there and everything, just to give it a little punch, just a little bit. You don't have to go crazy with it. And then, of course, some peppers, some spice. Uh, Feeling Dangerous 113 asks, what is your Super Bowl pick next year after the draft? Well, I didn't watch the draft. I, I don't pay really attention to the NFL, to any draft. I, I just don't. But, dude, am I crazy for thinking that Tampa Bay can go right back to the Super Bowl? Am I crazy for thinking that? I think they might. I think they might. Uh, but as far as who's going to be in the game and everything, I I couldn't tell you, man. I couldn't tell you. the, the two teams. but. I need, you know, during the football season, I need about four or five weeks, four or five games to see where everyone's at. And then I just start to get a gut feel, you know? And uh, now last year, I knew Tampa Bay was going to be in the playoffs. Did I know they'd win the damn Super Bowl? Hell no. But I think they have a great chance of going right back. And boy, is that going to trigger people if Tampa Bay goes right back and Tom Brady's in another Super Bowl. That's just going to trigger people. Benjamin Sente asks, uh, he has a bunch of questions, but uh, I'm just going to narrow it down. He said, assuming one-time travel, if one-time tra- time travel would be invented, which historical boxer would you like to spar in a friendly match? You know what I thought about? It might be funny to fun and funny to watch me spar Primo Carnera because he was this big, massive dude, taller and bigger than me, and I don't often get the chance to train let alone spar with people that are way, way bigger than me like that. Um, I think, and I do think a lot of people just say Primo Carnero was terrible. He's this horrible fighter. I think he was underappreciated a little bit. He's better than people make him out to be. Definitely not an all-time great or Hall of Fame or anything like that, but not the bum some people say he was. I just think it'd be fun to spar a guy like him, just a massive human being from like that era. Because like in that time, he was a freak. Right in this era, he'd just be another heavyweight as far as his size and everything. But to take a guy like from that era, that size, and spar with him, I think that'd be fun. Uh, he also asked, Did you hear anything about Larry Merchant? How is he doing? No, I haven't heard anything about Larry. I know he recently turned 90, and as far as I know, he's he's healthy. Um, what are your three favorite? Who are your three favorite young or old actors? That's hard, that's hard to break down three actors, you know. Um, but I will say, you know who uh, – I watched Band of Brothers. That was, it was a miniseries HBO did. Like, shit, it might have been 20 years ago. But I, that it came on this weekend, and I watched several episodes of it. And Dan Hardy was in that. I totally forgot. But there was a bunch of guys that really were young in their career and just getting started. And Dan Hardy ha- had a part in that. And uh, he's a guy that – he just always does a good freaking job. Anything I see him in, I'm like, all right, I'll check this out. You know, an actress that I've always liked that I thought was underappreciated here in America anyway, is Rachel Weiss. 
I always liked Rachel Weiss. I just she she has a quality about her that I enjoy and always does a good job. And as far as an American leading man who's really settled into his man years, Leo DiCaprio. I know, call me corny, but when he was a younger pretty boy and all that, I really didn't watch Leo's movies. But in the last few years, he's really settled in and become a man, you know, in his roles. And I've really enjoyed, I mean, The Wolf of Wall Street. I don't know how old that, that might be 10 years old now, but damn, that movie is so fun. Um, but just his more recent roles, he's, he's just hitting his, his grown-ass man years, and I enjoy watching his stuff now. Also ask, uh, which one is your favorite Craig Zoller movie? I think Bone Tomahawk. You got to go there. Kurt Russell, right? You got to go Bone Tomahawk. Uh, how long did you cuddle your brother's dog when you saw it last? What kind of breed is the dog? Uh, so his name is Bobby, by the way, and he's a mutt, but he's um, mostly Australian cattle dog. That's, that's, I think, what he is mostly. And he's mixed with some other stuff. But uh, my mom is, uh, has Bobby now. So, so grandma has him. And when I visit my mom, of course, uh, I, I talk to Bobby a little bit and uh, spend some time with him. Uh, he's in his sweet old man years, but he still gets around really, really well. My brother would take him out running all the time. So um, he's got great cardio. I could take him out. My mom can't take him out like that for long runs and stuff. So when I visit my mom, I always take Bobby out. and We go out for a long walk and talk about his dad. Um Benjamin also asked, since you are a citizen of the USA, I would like to hear your view on the U.S. being the biggest nuclear nuclear and conventional military power on Earth. Whoa, that's a heavy one, bro. Um, So that would be one for a political podcast where I could sit down with a group of people and talk about that. Um, This is not going to be a popular opinion, and it's probably going to surprise a lot of you because I'm a former military guy. Um, I'm uncomfortable with the stockpile of nuclear weapons that we have, number one. Uh, And I know to some degree we have to have it because of the threats around the world, but I think it's a little overdone. And I think my country in general spends too much on the military. I think that a lot of the way we do military could be revamped. It could be brought to the 21st century. When I served in the Marines, we were training with equipment from Vietnam, dude. From the Vietnam War era, I should say. It wasn't from the country of Vietnam. It was from the Vietnam War era. We were training with stuff that was decades old when I, when I was serving. Um, we, we, have, we, we do a lot of things, I think, that are not as efficient as they could be in the modern era. I think a lot of what we, we could be doing could be more technological with the drones and, and things like that. Um, more... Um, uh, software and things like that from the computer side. Uh, a lot of this stuff is going to be uh, a lot of the future wars they say are going to be fought with viruses and things like that online, hacking and things like that, right? Intel is done there now. Boots on the ground and all that. I, I think we spend too much money on that. And I think we have too much of a presence in too many parts of the world where we should focus more on what's going on here. I think a lot more of our budget should go to uh, infrastructure and things here in the United States instead of uh, we, we give a lot of money in foreign aid and stuff like that, which sounds awesome. But when you do a little bit of research, you find that most of that foreign aid goes to a handful of corrupt politicians over in these other parts of the world. It gets spent on their military. It's not supposed to be. And um, not good, not good. So yeah, I, I think that we could pull back on some of the spending or at least spend it more efficiently, uh, more modern technology and techniques 
and get less boots off the ground, you know, less boots on the ground and bring more people home. Um, that's my opinion. And I'm saying this as a guy who served in the military and saw a lot of things that just didn't make sense to me. Um, a country like ours could be doing it a little bit better, I think. October 4th asks, Mike, is there any behind the scenes dirt you know um, that you had to keep a secret at the time, but you can now talk about? Think about it for a bit. There has to be a few juicy behind the scenes incidents that us boxing fans would sell our firstborn to learn about. Give us something, Mike. Of course, dude. Of course, I, I've seen things. I've witnessed things myself, but I've heard all kinds of stuff. And uh, to go back to the question I opened on a cancel culture and me being the victim of some of that this year, some people attacking me, uh, I've had to hire some forensic um, experts to do so, forensic technology. Uh, what are they called? Consultants, um, analysts to do some digging on some people on some social media accounts and things like that. And I've extracted and pulled a lot of information on certain people that, um, have a past that they're hiding. Yeah. People in media, a list of names that you guys know about people in the boxing community who may not be necessarily media, but kind of tied to media adjacent to media that, um, are very vocal about certain things on social media because they're covering up for the past. I'm talking about registered sex offenders. I'm talking about uh, all kinds of nasty stuff. So I've armed myself with that information in case some people decide they want to double down and continue to attack me. I will not use that information unless I have to, because I'm, I'm not in the business or it doesn't interest me to publicly ruin people. But there are a handful of people that I really could publicly ruin uh, with the information that I've, I've learned. So there's that. But then there's also things I've witnessed and seen right in front of me, of course. And then there's things that I've been told off the record by people who have been around in the game way, way longer than me. People talk a lot, right? I, this is, this, I don't want to say this stuff publicly. <clears throat> there, there's no point. Maybe one day, long, long from now, I'll write a book or you know do something like that or uh, contribute to a book about a particular fighter or a particular series of events or something that I'm knowledgeable and have some dirt on that day might come. But right now, no, nah, dude, I, I can't do that. The bronze plumber asks, why do you think that ring heavyweight ratings include Luis Ortiz at number six? Do you think his rating is based primarily on the Wilder losses and that Wilder's ranking is based primarily on the Ortiz wins? That, that's a good question. Uh, this is another one that we get asked about a lot. Look, a lot of Luis Ortiz's rating is eye test. He was avoided for a long time, but also he was beating Deontay Wilder before getting iced. He almost knocked out Deontay Wilder in the first fight. You could argue he was ahead in that fight before the stoppage. Everyone had him ahead in the second fight before the stoppage there. So if Deontay Wilder is rated, what, number three right now, I think? Ortiz has to be a top 10 guy, right? Yeah. It depends. I mean, and this is where, again, there's a human factor involved in ratings. You can't go by a computer algorithm and you can't go by the, the rules only. And um, you listed some of the ring ratings committee rules that we post on our site as a part of your question. I'm not going to read over all that here, but you can't just go by those rules. There has to be some sort of human 
factor to it. Okay. I don't know what, it, what there's, there's no better term I can think of. Uh, maybe there's a better way to describe it, but I'm just going to use the term human factor because th- there's, there's nuances there. And, and yes, Ortiz, if you're going by his best win, he's not a top 10 heavyweight, but the fact that he was beating a top five heavyweight two times before his age and everything became a factor. He fatigued late and got stopped by a younger, more explosive guy. Uh, you have to c- take that into consideration. Also, he was avoided by several top 10 heavyweights. So, you know, those things go into, they, they factor in. And, um, you know, other than losing to Wilder, yes, he's fought B and C level opposition only, but he's dominated most of the opposition he's fought. So I'm comfortable with Luis Ortiz being rated in the top 10. Now, there have been times where he's been rated, I think, too highly. And uh, I do think that Wilder gets a little too much credit for those wins over Ortiz, because I do think to a certain degree, Ortiz is overrated by some in the media and some in the boxing community. Uh, So I agree with you on that. But name 10 heavyweights that you'd comfortably favor to beat him right now. Maybe you could pick 10, but it's it'd be close, right? If he's not top 10, he's right around the top dozen or so. All right, John Newman, several questions from John. He asked, uh, what's your favorite movie? What's your favorite book? That's so hard, dude. I, I mean, it's hard to pick like one. I will say that for, for movies, anytime Goodfellas is on, I don't give a shit if it's right before bed, if it's first thing in the morning. If I see it on TV, if I'm watching TV, it's a Sunday morning, I'm drinking coffee. Or if it's a Tuesday night and I'm about to go to bed and it's on, I leave it on for at least a few minutes. That movie is so spot on in so many ways. And I've been fortunate to meet several members of the cast. I got to go to a special screening of that film in North Hollywood. Uh, with several members of the cast and talked to them. Um, And it was just a very cool behind the scenes look at how it all came together. Uh, I'm very, I know some of the people that were involved uh, real life in that, um, that whole scene. Uh, Several of the people mentioned in the movie, uh, I've, I've met some of them and I've met people that worked with them. And so so it's um, maybe a little personal, but um, I, I love that fucking movie. I, I just love it. it. It's so perfect in so many ways. And just a cultural, iconic type of film. Now, favorite book. The difference between movies and books, for me, there are some people that will read the same book 20 times. I read a book once and that's it. I never read the same book twice. So it's really, really hard for me to say a favorite book. You know, like there's no go-to book. I read a book, boom, I put it down. I give it to a friend or a family member. I grab another book. Uh, recently, I've been reading more of the intellectual stuff, some Jordan Peterson, um, uh, Karen McDonald, uh, several people like that. Um, I could mention more names, but that's the kind of stuff I've been reading. And I've been, uh, some of it's, you know, highbrow and everything like that, but I enjoy um, it, it more in the political realm, the f- philosophical realm, uh, the human, I guess the human condition, l- learning more about that. I've, I've I used to read a lot about history. Lately, it's been more of that kind of stuff. But I don't have one go-to favorite book. John also asked, who are, in your opinion, the bigger, biggest shysters? Politicians, boxing promoters, or cable news journalists? Good question. Without a doubt, hands down, politicians. And here's why I say that. 
boxing promoters occasionally put on material that I like. And there are actually several promoters that I know on a personal level who are good people. Uh, so, so, you know, I, I, boxing promoters, yeah, they're, they're shysters. They are. But they do put on some material that we like. What has any politician done? Any of you watching this, is there any politician that's done anything that has directly impacted your life one way or another, especially in a positive way? Come on. You know, politicians are completely full of shit, especially in the United States right now. Cable news journalists, some of them do some good work occasionally. Most of them are full of shit. Most of them terrible. But occasionally, some of them do some good work. So, yeah, politicians, hands down. John also asked, which of these fighters owes the majority of his public perception to smoke and mirrors? Ooh, this will be controversial. Floyd Mayweather, Deontay Wilder, Rocky Marciano, Juan Manuel Marquez, Ricky Hatton. Floyd is arguably an all-time great fighter. The rest are clearly not, but all seem very overrated from the perspective of most fans. Wow. <clears throat> well, first of all, Floyd Mayweather is an all-time great fighter, and so is Rocky Marciano. I know, look, a lot of you need to go back and really research his career and look at his fights, because a lot of you guys haven't seen his fights and haven't seen um, he, he has an underrated resume by some people. It's just, uh, unfortunately due to his demographics, Rocky Marciano's and, and everything, um, he gets labeled as a, as a mafia fighter and all, all that's just racially based and it's bullshit. Um, he really was a damn good fighter. And in this era, would he be a heavyweight? No, he was a buck 85 soaking wet. He'd be a super middleweight right now, but the hammers that guy had, in his fists, maybe he'd be a light heavyweight. Fine. As a prospect, he'd be a super middleweight. Even if he settled as a cruiserweight, that dude would be a handful. And he actually was more athletic and lighter on his feet than a lot of people give him credit for. So I consider Marciano an all-time great. And now, head-to-head, he was 5'8", 5'9", a buck 85. Yeah, him against Deontay Wilder, he's going to struggle in there, okay? But what he accomplished at his time versus other fighters, special. Now, do I rate him in the top three all-time? No, I, do, I don't. But he is a top 10 all-time great heavyweight. I truly, truly believe that. Now, the others, Deontay Wilder, skip him. He's still fighting. We'll figure out. His story's still being told. Marquez and Hatton, Hall of Famers, all-time greats? No. They just fall short of that distinction. But uh, Marquez, clearly a Hall of Famer, clearly a Hall of Famer, not an all-time great. Ricky Hatton is a borderline Hall of Famer kind of guy for me. I think eventually he might get in, but he's a borderline kind of guy, all right? Not a first ballot or anything like that, in my opinion. Marquez, yeah, but I do agree. Marquez does get overrated to a certain extent. Here's the thing, dude. I could take any fighter, any quote-unquote star fighter, and I could show you how he's overrated, I could show you how he's underrated. It just depends who you talk to. And that includes everybody on this list. Some people underrate them. Some people overrate them. It just depends who you talk to. Boxing Machamp says, why is Errol Spence rated in the Ring Magazine top 10 pound for pound? Others have done more like Undisputed and are rated lower. Again, Errol Spence is another guy that people are, are upset with his rating. I, I'll say this much, guys. In 2021, there are going to be some shakeups on the pound-for-pound pound list. We just saw what Josh Taylor did, right? That shook things up. 
I think both Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford, to a certain extent, are going to be, quote unquote, punished. Some may not like that word. I don't know what the, the right word is. OK, I don't mean punished in a, in, a, in a mean way. I'm just saying they're going to be somewhat punished for not fighting each other. Now, Terrence Crawford is not fighting the level of opposition at welterweight that Errol Spence is. Most of that's due to politics. But if if Terrence Crawford does get Sean Porter this year, that's that's a pretty good fight for him. But if Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford are not fighting each other this year, I don't see how either one could be anywhere near the top five pound for pound. Um, they'll both drop out. Don't expect ESPN to change their rating. But at ring, I think those guys are going to be toward the bottom of the top 10 pound for pound list. Guys like Jermel Charlo, if he beats Brian Castaño, he's going to get in there and he's going to jump very quickly. Let's see how Teofimo Lopez looks against George Cambosis. There are other young fighters that I think you're going to see start to climb. And let's see what happens between, um, let's see what Ioka does later this year. Um, let's see what Estrada and uh, Chocolatito do later this year. That will change the list, okay? I guarantee you by the end of 2021, the pound-for-pound pound list will look very different than it does right now. We're kind of in a holding pattern right now because dudes ain't fighting, okay? So we got to wait until these guys fight and see what happens, and then things will shake up. But I hear you guys about Errol Spence. I hear you about Terrence Crawford. I promise you. And by the way, people are noticing, okay? People on the committee are talking about it, and they're noticing. Brad DW54 asks, Sugar Ray Leonard versus Sugar Ray Robinson, who wins prime for prime and who had the better career? My answer, I've been asked this before, not going to be popular. Leonard beats Robinson. Leonard had the better career. Yes, I said it. Kouster asks, what's your favorite E-Rock jingle day? Hashtag Slabo. So, <laughs> dude, uh, most of you ain't going to get this. It's an Opie and Anthony uh, reference. Back to the Opie and Anthony radio show. Uh, Kouster, there, there's, there's a couple of great compilations of the E-Rock jingles out there. I sometimes I just put it on and they're like two hours long, a couple of them. And I just listen to it in the morning while I'm working and laugh my ass off. The one where they did, um, where they redid, um, what was it? Uh, Rudolph the red nosed reindeer to E-Rock to blank, blank, fat blank. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? That's gotta be the best one. Um, one dude redid Rolling Stones to, uh, I can't remember the name of the song. He redid the Rolling Stones song to E-Rock. He was going, food, food, in the background. That was awesome. And then uh, what does E-Rock say? And where there's just a bunch of elephants and shit noises. I'm, oh, my God, dude. That I might have to listen to that later today. I, I love that one. DS Kennels 210 asks, can you explain the difference between a quick twitch puncher like Felix Trinidad, Mike Tyson, Deontay Wilder, and a naturally strong puncher like Miguel Cotto, Andrew Galata, Tim Weatherspoon. Good question, man. Good question. Um, let's stick with the heavyweights. So let's look at the difference between Wilder versus Golada. Both athletic. Golada was an athletic heavyweight. He wasn't called it, but he was. He was an athletic heavyweight and a skilled one with his jab and everything. But he had more, I would call, like thunder power, where um, it, it, it's not going to shock your system because you might see the punch coming, but it hurts you down to your bones. The body punches, the head shots, even if you catch it, it's going to move you. It's going to push you and it reverberates through your body. You catch a shot, you feel it, boom, goes all the way down to your feet. And later on that night, 
shit hurts, you're sore. Wilder's type of punches are snappy. They're fast. The punch comes, boom, really, really fast. You might not see it coming. You might turn around and see it just at the very end, right? Where instead of seeing the punch and really, really coiling and preparing for it, you're catching it at the very, very end, at the snap. That kind of punch is what shocks your system. Whoa, I didn't, whoa, where did that come from? I didn't see that. Boom, your your nervous system is shook shook by it. And there's a quick shakeup in your head. You might recover from it if you're in shape and you can take it. Uh, You might not, but um, it doesn't linger. That's the difference. The, the, The fast twitch punchers, when you get caught with those punches, the pain and the feeling from it doesn't linger. A heavy-handed guy like uh, Andrew Galata that's really coming with force, with power, that um, has a lot of weight behind her punch. George Foreman is another one. Um, that that pain lasts. That's, that shit gives you a headache. That shit hurts later on. Uh, your, your neck might hurt later on. Your ribs might hurt later on, right? Your organs might hurt. And so that's the difference. Um, the, the effect, what's, what's interesting is that Wilder's punch is what knocks people out. It's what has you on the canvas for three minutes and you wake up like, what the hell happened? But you literally wake up, you walk out of the ring and you kind of feel okay. You might be concussed, a little woozy, but the next day or two, you're kind of okay. But going 10 rounds, let's say, with Golada or Foreman before they knock you out, that shit hurts for a week. That's the difference. Maud Al-Ali says, uh, am I planning on getting a co-host for my show? Um, that is a good question, and I've thought about it. But again, I ask you guys, who can I trust? Who would you like to see me have on the show as a co-host? Who do you think I'd have good chemistry with? Who would be fun? Uh, who would bring a different element to the show that would heighten it and take it to a new level? Drop me some names. Who would you suggest? Also, though, it has to be somebody that I can trust that's going to be consistent. Because in case you haven't noticed, 95% of the boxing podcasts out there are inconsistent. That's the biggest problem, not just with boxing podcasts, but podcasts in general. I put out a show every Monday, pretty much. There's a few Mondays a year where I don't put on a show. But there's 52 weeks of the year. You get 48 shows from me. No other podcast is doing that. Well, I won't say no other, but most are not, okay? The overwhelming majority are not doing that. Also, the biggest issue with podcasts, too, is people don't have strong opinions. It's too milk toast. It's too safe. And I'm not saying you always got to be controversial or you got to be yelling and pounding your fist on the desk. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you have to have strong opinions and have the willingness to step out there with a strong opinion, knowing that people are going to attack you. I get attacked all the time. You guys see it. You guys DM me some of the screenshots of these people that go after me and say terrible, terrible things about me that are untrue. Um, But that comes with the territory if you're going to have a strong opinion. But strong opinions are what people want. Because if you're just playing it safe and going right down the middle and giving information, that's every fucking podcast. What separates you? Have an opinion. Have a strong one. Be willing to listen to other opinions and engage in a grown-up dialogue, a grown-up debate, okay? And understand that your opinion may evolve. It may change. You may be proven wrong. You're going to make mistakes. But step out there and have an opinion, you know? 
who out there fits that description that would work well with me as a co-host? Give me some names because I'm struggling here. Also, he asks, uh, I've been following your work for more than three years. Thank you. And I really think that the old format without callers was much better since most of the calls are too long with poor audio quality. Um, you know, comment noted. Okay. And you're not the only one to say that. I will say, guys, um, when it comes to callers, I have to tighten it up. And um, I, I enjoy the callers. And I think most of you do as well. And for some of you guys, I quote your calls. Um, and I get it in Ring TV. You guys have gotten on, on Ring TV's website. That's pretty cool, right? No other podcast is doing that. I also like hearing from you and and your in your voice on certain issues. And some of you guys have dropped some stuff on me where I've been like, holy shit, it's influenced my opinion. It's influenced the way I feel about a particular fighter or subject or something. So um, it's been educational for me. However, some of you guys want to get on and talk for 15, 20 minutes. And, and, and I understand, trust me, there are days where I only have two or three callers and I can do that. But that last episode of TNC, we went over two hours and I didn't even get to the fight preview. And I totally forgot and ended the show without doing a preview. So it is something that I'm still learning and I'm going to have to start tightening up and we're going to have to start doing like a five minute timer or something like that with some of your calls. All right. So we'll figure that out. But um, thank you, dude, for, for following my work and listening. And please understand that if you have been following my stuff for a few years, then you know that I try different things and some things work out and some things don't. So when it comes to the callers and, and all these different things, it's kind of a feel out process. It's a feel out round. Right. And, and so I, I'm figuring it out. I'm still fi- I'm, I'm measuring how much, um, you know, how long do I take calls? How many calls do I take? And I'm still figuring it out. So please just bear with me and understand that it's a process. All right. But I'll find the right mix. I'll find the right level. Justin S. asked, why do some think that Usyk loses points in terms of pound for pound because he moved to heavyweight and hasn't had a meaningful fight yet? Some think that being undisputed at cruiserweight makes you pound for pound, but moving up hurts you because you're no longer the man of a division. Lots of people seem to not like Ring having Usyk so high. So Usyk is another one that two, three years ago, maybe it's two years ago, what he did at cruiserweight was unprecedented. And I think it's the best run for a modern fighter we've seen in decades. I mean, seriously. But heavyweight, heavyweight run has been disappointing. You know, now the Chisora win was good. I actually think it was a little underrated considering certain factors. It was a pretty good win. But um, he struggled to get the Anthony Joshua fight. That That's another issue that will be resolved by the end of this year. He's either going to fight Anthony Joshua or he'll fight for the vacant WBO title. Either way, that's going to affect pound-for-pound pound ratings. However, having him in the top five is, is difficult to justify right now because he just hasn't been active. He hasn't done a whole lot at heavyweight. What he did at cruiserweight was outstanding. But it's been a couple of years now, right? It's been a few years now. So, so a lot of the pound for pound list is what have you done for me lately? It's your overall body of work, but it's also what have you done for me lately? And so we need to see Usyk uh, either fight for a vacant title or fight for several titles against Anthony Joshua this year so we could properly evaluate him pound for pound. Right now, he's kind of been living off the cruiserweight accomplishments a little too much. It's kind of like Terrence Crawford living off his accomplishments at 135 and 140 a little too long. 
got to fight the guys in the current division that you're fighting in. So, but yeah, Usyk is one that, uh, you know, look, I think some of it's political, why some people don't like him up there. Uh, but also people will say, well, I thought you're not supposed to rate heavyweights pound for pound. Yeah, technically you don't put a heavyweight there unless they've really distinguished themselves. But Usyk is a cruiserweight fighting at heavyweight. That's the difference there. So again, nuance, these things matter. Aaron asked, if you could have a major boxing event at any venue in the world in which you could spend a week in that town, city, country, where would it be? That's a good question. So, you know, I could pick all sorts of exotic locations and stuff, or it'd be cool to see a boxing event. But in terms of just thinking of venue and atmosphere, I think it'd be cool as shit to see a fight at Wembley. Well, you know, to, to have been there for an event like um, Anthony Joshua and Vladimir Klitschko, 100,000 people over there. I haven't been to London. I haven't been to the UK. So that would have been just an amazing atmosphere and to spend a week over there. And I know so many of you guys, so many of you guys who watch my show and call in are from the UK. And I wrote for Boxing Monthly for several years. Boxing Monthly really gave me one of my first breaks in this business. And I know a lot of wonderful people who used to contribute to Boxing Monthly. We, we keep in touch. So it would just be really, really cool to do a meetup with, with a bunch of you guys over there and, and see a big, big fight at Wembley. You know, 100,000 people, a massive crowd like that. Or even if it was in Cardiff, Wales or something like that, it, it'd just be cool to spend a week over there and explore that part of the world. I've always wanted to go over there and explore that part of the world uh, to meet a bunch of you guys, even if it was in a couple different cities, and then go to a big, big fight, you know, to cap off that whole trip covering a big, big fight. That would be really, really cool, man. And we'll get there. It, it, it will happen. I don't know if it'll happen this year. There's too much going on, but it will happen. Registered user asks, do you get a lot of hate mail? <laughs> uh, I love registered user. Um, yeah. Yeah, of course I do. I get a lot of hate mail. Most of it's on Twitter. I don't know if you're trolling with this question or being serious, but yeah, I get a lot of hate mail, man. Most of it is in the form of Twitter, but I get stuff on Facebook. I do get the occasional actual email. I get stuff on Instagram. And a lot of it is people, um, I'd say Twitter's probably the worst one. I, I just, man, people say some really rotten shit about me. And it's just, uh, it just comes with the territory. Um, which is a great segue into this next question from Tim Nick, who, uh, you know, can't have a video without throwing something in there about Deontay Wilder. He asked, how long will you cry if Wilder beats Fury? That question right there. See, like that question is so ridiculous. Why would I cry? Actually, if Wilder beats Fury, it's one of the greatest comebacks in recent boxing history. And if you've watched my shows, and I know you do, Tim, you've heard me say that. You've heard me say that at least a dozen times over the last year. You've also heard me say recently on my podcast, I'm starting to think that something's going on. And Tyson Fury needs to really watch himself because Deontay Wilder is not going to be the same guy in this third fight that he was in the second fight. This third fight will be competitive. And I've been saying that for quite a while, Tim. So that sort of question obviously is very, very biased and quite ridiculous if you've actually listened to things I've said. He also asks, and this is a serious question. He asks, when will you get in the ring with Deontay Wilder and or Luis Ortiz? He's literally asking me this. You talk bad about them on a daily basis. Hmm. 
I don't post daily videos on this channel. So I don't talk about them at all on a daily basis, Tim, because I don't post daily videos. Also, I don't talk badly about them all the time. There have been plenty of times where I've defended Deontay Wilder. There have been plenty of times where I've defended Luis Ortiz. But you asking me to get in the ring and box them as if I'm a professional fighter, that's kind of strange, dude. He follows. I would like to see you getting floored by them and then quitting. You have a serious anti-Wilder agenda, and that make you look bad. Okay, so you want to see me, because I'm a professional fighter, a top-rated, top-10 heavyweight boxer. I'm not even a heavyweight, dude. At most, I'm a bridgeweight, but I'm actually really a cruiserweight. Uh, You want to see me fight Deontay Wilder and Luis Ortiz, get floored, and quit. So in other words, you are wishing physical pain and anguish upon me. it's comments like these. Okay. And Tim, I haven't blocked you from my channel. I've let you do this for a while, dude. You come on every single video and say these sorts of things to me. Okay. And I've been very, very fair to you, but it's this sort of stuff that I get every day. People wishing physical pain and hurt and anguish upon me. Um, you know, look, most of the comments I get are positive and supportive. Most of you guys appreciate what I do and you recognize it for what it is and for what it is not. I appreciate that. And it makes it worth it. But it's shit like this from people like Tim Nick that makes me sometimes question, what the fuck am I doing? Why am I doing this to myself? It's just ridiculous. So obviously, Tim, you know that I train, I spar. I may or may not be preparing for a competition later this summer. Um, But I have never once ever claimed that I am a top-rated, worldwide-rated professional heavyweight boxer. Never. So you asking me to fight Wilder or Ortiz and you hoping that I get hurt by them and quit, Dude, and and then you follow it by saying, I have a serious anti-Wilder agenda and it makes me look bad. I think you might need to reevaluate and look back at your questions and think about who was made to look bad here. It wasn't me. Next, uh, DS Kendall's 210 asks, um, or he says, in my opinion, top rank is the premier boxing promoter in the world. But should we as fans be worried about their seemingly downward spiral, i.e. their terrible handling of the Ramirez-Taylor fight? I understand that. And it's not just that. There's their whole situation, like even worse than the Taylor-Ramirez thing, because at least the guys got paid and it ended up being a good show there at the venue. And they got a a deal for, several, I think, four more fights at that venue coming up. Uh, so business-wise, it kind of worked out. But man, the, the way they handled this thing with Deontay Wilder and the arbitration, they completely screwed that up. And um, it makes me wonder how long before they knew because they had Allegiant Stadium booked. It just seems all too convenient and kind of scripted to me. That was more concerning in my opinion, the way that Al Heyman completely outplayed and outmaneuvered uh, Bob Arum on that one. However, I will say again, 
Top Rank has been along for a long, long time. They've been one of, if not the most premier boxing promoter, at least in the United States, for a long, long time. They'll rebound. They'll be okay. Uh, Naaman Musin asks, have you been, or have been watching your channel for three years? Thank you. He says, uh, you got no more than 4,000 new subscribers during that period. I have my own opinion why the number of subscribers is going up so slow despite a very professional approach and high-quality content, but I'd like to know your opinion on this regard. Trust me, it's something I've noticed. It's uh, something I have. And by the way, thank you for your compliments. Uh, that may, gets the bad taste out of Tim's comments uh, out of my mouth. Thank you. But um, I think um, there's several reasons, okay? But I've talked to people. I know people that work at Google. I know people, and Google, of course, runs YouTube. And I know that I've been shadow banned. I know that there are people out there. There's a, a handful of people in the boxing community. And unfortunately, some of these people are tied to certain um, organizations in the American boxing media. And it's only a handful. It's only a few of them. They don't represent the majority. It's a small amount of people. But they are people with agendas. They're people that I am a major threat to that actively work to get me out of the boxing industry, actively work behind the scenes. Sometimes blatantly on social media, they post all kinds of nasty stuff, but behind the scenes, they work to get me out of the boxing business. And they've succeeded in getting me uh, on certain lists and getting me um, knocked around a little bit. So unfortunately, some of these people have recently been hired by DAZN. Some of them did work at PBC. Now they work at DAZN. Um, some of them are tied to certain uh, boxing media organizations here in the United States and have influence there. And these people work very, very hard, diligently to get me out of boxing. They do not want me around. Okay. And again, I've had to do some research and learn about some of these people. That's how I know some of the things that they've done. But one of the things you could do uh, with you know YouTube is you can report people and you can um, associate people with certain um, blocked uh, subject matter and things like that uh, to get people on naughty lists. And th th these guys have done that. Now, to be clear, my channel's never been flagged. I've never violated YouTube policy on this channel. Uh, I've never viol violated Twitter policy, Instagram, Facebook, never been flagged, never been suspended, nothing like that. However, that doesn't even matter now. The these These platforms are so biased that if you just have a few keywords associated with your channel, it affects your algorithm. More than any of that, though, YouTube now is completely sold out to the corporate media. Years ago, the big networks, the big news channels in the United States and really around the world, but we'll stick with the USA, laughed at YouTube news laughed at YouTube channels. They didn't consider it real news. They didn't consider it uh, real media. And so, and that, of course, included in boxing media. Guys that you all know now as A-listers in this business that started online couldn't get credentialed to big fights. You could only get credentialed if you wrote for a newspaper, right? Well, now if you write for a newspaper, it's harder to get credentialed than if you have a, a YouTube channel. So media shifted. And as YouTube took over and podcasts and things like that became the major form of media, all the corporate media freaked out. And so they made deals behind the scenes with Google and all them because they have billions of dollars at their disposal to pump in 
to the system. And so now Google, the, the algorithms that they build out for these social media platforms, it's not just YouTube, but it includes YouTube, favors commercial, traditional, um, cookie cutter, template media, the ESPNs, the NBCs, the ABCs, the Fox, all right, the CNN, they're going to boost anybody associated with those platforms up in the algorithm and any independent content creators are going to be pushed down, right? So if you're corporate media, if you're legacy media or tied to that, either way, you get pumped up. If you're independent, you get pulled down. And also, if you have certain cards to play, uh, demographically, politically, anything like that, you're going to get bumped up. There's an agenda there. If you don't, you get pushed down. You're actively punished. So, I, and I know these things are happening. It's been well documented. It is what it is. Uh, there's really nothing I can do about it. There's, there's really nothing I can do. But I'm working on building my own site. I'm going to take things off of Patreon and Super Chat and all that. And I'm going to have ways where you guys can go to my site and donate directly to me there. I don't want these corporations having any of this damn money anymore. Uh, but I've kind of almost given up fighting it on YouTube. There's just nothing I can do. What's crazy is four or five years ago, when I first started this channel, it grew exponentially very, very quickly. And then right when I got close to 10,000, right when I got just over 9,000, it stopped. I get one or two followers, new followers a month. That's it. And you guys tell me all the time, you guys DM me all the time and tell me how uh, YouTube unsubscribes you all the time. A lot of you guys tell me it's, I'm not making this shit up. The algorithm, whatever unsubscribes a lot of you all the time. And you have to constantly resubscribe to my channel. Why is that? Why is that happening? Flypaper asks, are you a military guy? Yeah. Former Marine. Of course. Former United States Marine. Very, very proud of my service. Um, it was an honor of mine. Jack Alter asked, and this is the last question. He asked, who do you think Triple G's next three opponents will be? It's going to be somebody like Falcao in the summer. Maybe not even as good as him. But somebody on that level is a tune-up fight. It's going to be Murata at the end of this year. It's going to be a third Canelo Alvarez fight at 168 next year. By then, Canelo will have the complete super middleweights, undisputed championship. And DAZN and everybody involved, uh, Eddie Hearn, will negotiate a third fight. And my, this is just my, my hunch. Between Triple G and uh, Canelo, the third fight, it'll be at 168 for all the marbles there. So if Triple G loses, he keeps his middleweight titles. If he wins, he's a two-division champion. So that's how that's going to play out. All right, guys. Uh, appreciate it. Thank you for all the great questions. Hope you guys enjoyed this video. And I'll see you next Monday on TNC. That's over on Ring Digital. But we'll probably have some material here on this channel before then. All right, guys. See you at the fights.